Welcome back to the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. I'm your host, Jonathan M. Ruggiero, here with my editor and co-host, Logan Ramsey. And we start off with Dateline, this from NPR, California Mudslides. As the Santa Monica Mountains north of Los Angeles got 10 inches of rain in less than 10 hours, Los Angeles itself received 6 inches in 10 hours. Thus far, three people have been reported dead. Also, this from NPR, Dartmouth University is reinstating the requirement for either an SAT or ACT score for entry to the university. This was suspended during the pandemic, but this is designed, according to Dartmouth University, to help disadvantaged applicants. Now, on to the news of the day. News has been circulating that Joe Biden is taking advice from, drumroll please, Joe Scarborough. Huh? Why, Joe? Why? Joe Scarborough ranks number one as the worst cable news host on TV. You might say, but Jonathan, he's a liberal on a a liberal network and, and he mocks Trump. Yes, but the Sean Hannity's of the world or Tucker Carlson's and Jesse Waters yeah, you know, they're anti-American dopes in advance with no soul or love for America. We know Hannity is not only a cable host, but also chief PR guy for Dementia J. However, we forget that America doesn't have a truly liberal news channel. And this is because of Joey Scars. There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that MSNBC could truly be a liberal network if they would just cut the fat and get rid of this awful guy, Joe Scarborough. My God, he is used to carry water for the putrid man that is Newt Gingrich, the one who started all of this culture war stuff. He's been allowed to break NBC and MSNBC rules time and time again. Still wondering how the best host on MSNBC, Mehdi Hassan, was suddenly fired without explanation. How about Tiffany Cross? It all comes from one man. Joe, the slimeball former Republican congressman who marries his co-host Scarborough. Point. The ratings for Morning Joe, Joe Scarborough's show, are a little over 300,000. 300,000 sounds like daily podcast numbers, not cable news numbers. Oh, and remember Chris Licht, the man who took a sledgehammer to CNN in an attempt to attract more right-wingers? Where... Did he get his start in cable news? Oh, as executive producer for Joe Scarborough. Mr. President, please stop taking advice from this putrid man, a man whose show is so poorly produced 
it's barely watchable in the first place and is hosted by a man who took part in the off-the-record firing of the only people worth watching on MSNBC. And it could have been a real honest-to-God liberal network, but Joe Scarborough has stood in the way. He's a wolf in sheep's clothing. We know what Sean Hannity, what Jesse Waters, and what Tucker Carlson are. We know who they are. They wear it on their sleeve. They tell us in advance. But Joe Scarborough has truly infected the world of liberal media, if you want to call it that, as MSNBC is the only channel that even really tries, and has taken a hatchet to the whole thing. On to politics. Terrorism. We have terrorists in the halls of Congress. For years, Republicans have demanded draconian measures be taken at the southern border. And this week, the president gave them what they wanted. He and a bipartisan group of senators delivered a bill that met all of those misguided Republican priorities. It also provided aid to Israel and aid to our ally in Ukraine. However, Dementia J was shocked and dismayed at this news, so he torpedoed the bill from outside the political fray, saying essentially he'd rather the problem persist at the border for campaign purposes. This is sick and repulsive. What else do we expect from Donald Trump? Given the public way in which Trump and his legislative terrorists have talked about the nefarious idea, it will certainly backfire. He now holds the hot potato all the way through Election Day. These people in the Republican Party are nothing less than terrorists. They're sabotaging their own constituents to score points with a man who aspires to overthrow American democracy. I see it this way. If an all-Arabic or Muslim contingent in the House and in the Senate were sabotaging American policy and American security, the president would call them terrorists. But this pack of traitors get a pass. Maybe it has something to do with skin color and religious orientation. Giving the extremes of which these so-called lawmakers have sabotaged the U.S. government, I say Biden has every right to do whatever necessary to stop them. Start by demanding all major TV networks carry his speech and go on live across the nation and in the angriest way possible, go after these terrorists by name. From MAGA Mike Johnson, a.k.a. Speaker DuJour, to Senator Mike Lee of Utah, make it clear this is not how America works, but it is how America fails. Logan, your thoughts? Isn't it funny how Trump bombs the whole idea of bringing aid to the border just so he can try to solve the problem himself and come in as the hero? But if anyone else did that, they'd be marked as a terrorist. The only reason why yeah. he's not getting fault for doing that is because he's Trump. 
I think he is getting blamed for it. I think the fact they did this in such a public way, the fact, you know, Trump, who is obviously cognitively declined or declining at a, an incredible rate, I also want to point something out about Donald Trump. Yeah. He's been dragging one leg as of late. Has he? Yeah. And that's a clear-cut sign of a stroke. That combined with his behavior, well, that's quite worrisome on all fronts, in my opinion. The fact that Trump's hobbling around, he's got the sores on his hands, you know, he's losing his place. He doesn't know where he is half the time. I mean, when he told everybody in Sioux City, Iowa, a month ago, that he was in Sioux Falls, which is in South Dakota, not exactly a swing state oh, or wow. a primary state. Yeah, he had to be reminded and then turned back around to the stage and said, you know, I love, sorry, uh, we love Sioux Falls too, but uh, this is Sioux City. Then we can play montages of him getting words mixed up, of him just slurring his speech. And I don't know what's going on with Dementia J, but a stroke sounds reasonable, especially when you consider the amount of Adderall, fentanyl, uppers and downers that were prescribed by Dr. Ronnie Jackson before he was finally kicked out of Walter Reed Medical Center. Yeah, and that's an all-proven fact because it yeah, was all I released. Mean, we have the paperwork. We have all of the uh, paperwork that shows what was prescribed, who it was prescribed to, and in what dose. And we, we're talking about everything from fentanyl and ketamine to uppers like amphetamines. So I don't know what to say about that last administration and their chronic drug use, but it is reminiscent of, well, once again, Nazi Germany. We know that Hitler took uppers and downers. He took uppers before his rip-roaring speeches like amphetamines. He even required the SS and his stormtroopers yeah. to, to take amphetamines so they could be extra cruel and cocaine, things of that nature. But he had to have taken something to wind down so he could get some sleep. And we know Donald Trump only sleeps about four hours a night, if that much. I think he prefers the uppers more than the downers, but... And that's uh, terrible for the body and the heart. I, I would I would hate to, and I, I know this is going to evoke images that will stay with you and haunt you for the rest of your life, but I would hate to be strapped to a toilet as long as these people who were taking these drugs must have been strapped to their toilet. Because mm -hmm. uppers, downers. The, the one thing I'll say that Donald Trump has in common with Elvis is... The uppers and downers, uppers and downers can give you a stroke on the toilet, you know, trying to have a bowel movement. And yeah. We remember that the uh, the the recent uh, split image of Donald Trump saying, a lot of people told me I look like Elvis. It sounds you like think? you're going to die like Elvis. Yeah. And <laughs> I like that he spliced a picture of, let's say, a 25-year-old Elvis with a 78 almost 77 almost 78 year old version of Trump and said don't we look alike um no not even a little bit i mean not even a little first of all he was dark haired and dark skinned for a white guy uh and he was in shape uh which is something we can honestly say that's never been true when it comes to Trump but the fact he he 
getting back to the to the point, get, the fact that he so publicly torpedoed legislation that would give funding to these big metropolitan areas who are receiving uh, migrants for the first time, like New York and Chicago, that would give money to the border, that would add more border patrol agents, that would add more judges to the border so people who who come and claim asylum can be processed faster, uh, has been completely torpedoed. And I'll say this, Mike Lee of Utah, a senator, but at a closed door meeting, sent his cop director to this closed door meeting where he got into a hissy of some sort and decided to storm out after demanding this bill get no traction whatsoever. After storming out, his comp director, which is this communications guy, was laughed out of the room by Republican senators and their PR people. So who knows? I I don't support this legislation. I think it's a mistake for Joe Biden to yield to these draconian measures being put forth by these Republican terrorists. At this point, there's no other word for them than terrorists. And I think as soon as possible, the best speechwriters in the Biden administration should put together a fire and brimstone speech, demand every major outlet in America allow him to go live during prime time and deliver a 30-minute speech to give remarks at his fiery best, even if he slips an F-bomb in there on accident, which Joe is liable to do. We have to, we'll admit that even as Democrats, Joe is liable to slip an F-bomb in there from time to time. He's a fiery guy, even at 81 years old. And it's a stark comparison between the two men. We have a 77-year-old, who is falling apart in a cognitively, physically, whatever. And then we have a president who's 81 years old and looks like he's ready to run a marathon. So there's a stark difference between the two, but the person who is incompetent, the person who seems to be struggling with age is not Joe Biden. No, it's Trump. And the media narrative has seemed to to recede a little bit, especially since he's overseeing an economy that has bounced back in a way none of us could have imagined. The only thing really left for the Biden economy to accomplish is to get housing prices back in order. I mean, they're a little out of whack still, um, which is great if you're a homeowner. That's been an enormous transfer of wealth to middle and upper middle class Americans from the top one to 5% of Americans who have all of that cash on hand. And it's money they can access. Uh, It's money that they can decide to cash in by putting their house on the market. Because if you owed $100,000 on a $260,000 mortgage, you had $100,000 left to pay off. But now that same home is worth somewhere between $450,000 and $500,000. That's truly a transfer of wealth from the you know top one to five percent of Americans down to middle class Americans. It's been a huge boom for wealth creation, but we have a housing shortage in the United States. This isn't 
this isn't dramatically different from a story ran in the New York Times comparing this to the election of 1948 when Truman ran against Dewey. And at the time, inflation in some areas of the economy hit 40% because the war ended, the boys came home from World War II, they needed housing, they needed jobs, and the shortage of supplies that was completely outside Truman's control shot inflation up 40%, 25% clothing, 20% at the grocery store, higher than that when it came to purchasing a home. And so we began building. We began building quickly. And the policies of Truman worked just in time for him to be reelected and to finish out that term. So that's an interesting little tidbit from the past. And politics have changed a lot since 1948 in the United States of America. But the economy still matters. And Joe Biden has presided over the greatest economic recovery in American history, including the creation of 14.8 million jobs. An unemployment rate at 3.7%, the lowest black unemployment in American history, and a stock market that is booming. Also, annual wage growth at 5.1%, inflation at 3.4%. That means the dollar goes a little further every time you get paid. Now, another little update from us. The second half of today's episode will be an interview, our first interview here on the Magnolia Media Network and the Magnolia Media Podcast. Logan, tell us just a little bit about who I'll be interviewing later this afternoon. Uh, today we have an interview with Jackie Holloway. She is a pillar of the Eastside community. She's had a tremendous impact on the children of the youth of the community since 2010. She's had many projects. She's mainly stayed in to the art part of creativity and taking kids that grow up in difficult environments, negative environments, such as gang activity, gun violence, drug violence, and takes them and shows them how they can express themselves through art. She's had a tremendous effect helping kids actually get scholarships and helping them transition from a negative path into a positive path. And I've actually helped um, with Canvas Can Do Miracles quite a few times in the past. And I love her to death. I can't wait to have her on the show. Well, she'll be with us uh, for the second half of today's broadcast. So if you've made it this far, please hang in there for my interview with Miss Jackie Holloway, the founder of Canvas Can Do Miracles and a pillar of the Magnolia community here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Welcome back to the Magnolia Media Podcast, part of the Magnolia Media Network. This is the continued version of today's episode. We are very fortunate to have Miss Jackie Holloway here with us today, a pillar of the Magnolia community. 
Miss Holloway, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, just to, to kick things off and get started here, the first thing we spoke about, and I think the way we actually met, was through an organization called Canvas Can Do Miracles. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Canvas Can Do Miracles, a little bit about that and your story. Okay. Uh, the Canvas Can Do Miracles um, was first initial at the Literacy Imperative. Okay. And this was in 2008. Okay. Um, because I was addicted to crack cocaine for 12 years, I went through a very long journey without uh, really having some support. Mm -hmm. And so as I went through that journey, um, I was led by the Lord to for a vision for other people that are struggling with substance abuse and homelessness. Um, and so that vision, I wrote it down and tried to get other organizations here in Knoxville to, to support. And I found support at the Literacy Imperative through Minister Alan Jones. And he opened up the studio to me. And that's where we first started with the Canvas Can Do Miracles, offering it to the community uh, as a, a part of therapy, um, art therapy. Mm -hmm when you're going through substance abuse. Well, you talked about substance abuse there a moment ago, and you mentioned the 12 years mm -hmm. um, of, of struggle. Yes. Um, it, you also spoke uh, about spirituality and religion. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how spirituality and religion plays a part in your life? Yes, because um, I was a Christian as a, as an early age. My parents... Um, brought me, us to church. That was a requirement. Yeah, right. Yeah. If you're in the country and you're in the South, you're going to church on <laughs> I, Sunday. I did too. All right. And so um, I had that as a foundation, but um, when my parents died, I was married with children. Uh, I had four parents to die in three years, and that oh, really took wow. a toll on my mental health. And so at that time, I was introduced to crack cocaine, and it took over my life. It was an escape? It was an escape yeah. to try to numb that pain. Yeah. And so that's how I got addicted. And then during that process, I found myself looking to God for recovery because I'd been through all the rehabs. Right. But when you come through rehab, you come out, you're living in the same location. I was in the projects at the time. And so if you come through rehab for, let's say, a month, two months, you come back out, drugs are still there in your front door. Mm -hmm. And so it's very difficult. So I found myself struggling until I moved myself out of Knoxville into Corrington. Okay. And that's where I found recovery. Um, because it wasn't that readily access, accessible. And so when uh, I did recover, the Lord gave me a vision of the people that are struggling. And that's why uh, the Canvas Can Do Miracles tries to, uh, it started with substance abuse, mm -hmm. but it quickly evolved to anyone at risk. Okay. So you're dealing with at-risk children. You're yes. dealing with... Um, the homeless or unhoused population, as they like to say today. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, the reason I bring up religion, and, and I make a point out of that, is because we have labeled ourselves a liberal uh, organization, a liberal podcast, a liberal network. And oftentimes, um, we get pegged as a bunch of um, 
atheist hoodlums. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and I admit that I don't have that type of relationship with the church that you do. Mm-hmm. But I also find um, that the relationship between religion, church, the Lord, and uh, black communities and African-American communities is is in, entirely different than the relationship white, let's say, evangelicals um, have to have to spirituality and religion. For them, it seems uh, to be more of a uh, political gimmick at this point. I, I'm not trying to disparage anybody's faith out there, anybody who might listen to this, just making the point that um, within the liberal coalition, if you want to call it that, there are people like Miss Holloway who are deeply spiritual and deeply religious and even found a path to cleanliness, to being clean, to, to kicking a terrible habit like crack cocaine or for myself, uh, an opioid addiction, you know, using, being open to, at the very least, um, religion, uh, God, Christianity, mm-hmm. or uh, Islam, you know, or, or Judaism, whatever it might whatever be. Whatever it might be. Right. So I, I see my spirituality because um, many times in my life, and I can only tell you what has happened in my life, <laughs> that um, I know that my spirituality is real to me. It's just like when my girls were young, they were three and six, and my husband was working, their father at the time was working uh, at Holiday Inn on a night shift, and I was there with the kids. Well, the house was, uh, the, the heat didn't work, and we had a kerosene heater. Well, when he filled the kerosene heater, he didn't know that there was gasoline in the tank. So when you put gasoline in the kerosene heater, me and the kids were there um, at night. I woke up. Now, the house is supposed to be cold. There's no heat on it, just one kerosene heater. I had blankets all on me, blankets all in the kids' room. So I wake up to a voice, very calm, still voice, saying, the house is on fire. (laughs) I wake up. It's pitch black. Right. You're right at night. And the first thing they says, don't stand up, crawl to the floor. So I crawl to the floor. They say, go to get the girls. I get the girls. We come to the living room. The living room is all bamboo and wicker. Oh, wow. It's a blaze. Yes. Okay. So we go through the front door, out. Firemen come, put everything out. And so I know for a fact that that was... God, an angel that woke me. Mm -hmm. And to prove that, in the living room, everything is melted, burnt. There's a Bible laying on the table by the door with a clock. You know, the clock you wind Mm -hmm. up, it's plastic. The clock has leaned over, melted. The Bible is not singed. Wow, now a, probably the most flammable thing in the and house would be the Bible. didn't burn at all. At all. So I'm just saying that's that's just what I know. So, you know, I know there is God in my life. He's saved me many sure. times. Crack cocaine is just another way he saved me. Sure. So you have to do what you do or know what you know based on your experiences in life. So I know someone's looking after me. That's good. So uh, I'll leave you with that to decide for yourself. 
Well, I, I just, you know, it's to dispel this theory that, um, you know, uh, on the left-leaning part of the political spectrum that we somehow don't have religion because we don't necessarily subscribe to this sort of uh, white evangelicalism that seems to be less and less about God, mm -hmm. about Christ, mm -hmm. about love, about acceptance. It seems like, you know, that's the same group that, you know, is um, is uh, ginning up so much hate against our brothers and sisters at the border. Yes. You know, I look at at, at all human beings, mm -hmm. whether they're brown, black, white, etc., um, as we're brothers and sisters in That's this right. thing. Whether you get that from religion and spirituality or if you get that from um, just a, a broad worldview, um, I think it's fair to say that um, that the type of rhetoric being thrown around in certain political circles and religious circles is dangerous. And it it's is. been proven. We've it had is. mass shooting. Remember the El Paso mm -hmm. shooting? Mm -hmm. That was someone who got a manifesto from Donald Trump, you know, drove all the way across the state of Texas to find uh, a largely Hispanic population. Mm -hmm. And then you have the Buffalo shooter. Right. Same situation. He was hunting African-American people. And and he found them and and unleashed hell, you know. Um, and I don't know how people who say they're one with God, um, that they're religious people, could again subscribe to a movement that inspires so much hate. If that makes sense, Miss Holloway. It does, and it's very clear to me why it's it's a uh, uh, there's a false prophet. Oh, yeah. There are uh, deceptions in place, systems, mm -hmm. uh, to, do just, to do just that. So it's not surprising. Right. Uh, you know, uh, um, the Bible tells me that I'm in a spiritual warfare. What does a warfare look like? Right. You fight, I, you know. I, I think about revelations and the false prophet, mm -hmm. that it'll be one of us, come from among us. And, and And I think how... How do people who are so focused on revelations, like white evangelicals, not see that they're walking right into the very thing, the very antichrist? Um, and, and we're talking about, you know, false prophets and and uh, pagan, you know, uh, worship of some kind, like the, the 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 false idol in the story of Moses. Um, and they they just don't seem to see it, or they they willfully ignore it. I guess you'd say. And uh, that's that's discouraging. That's discouraging. Well, it is discouraging, but just like uh, anything in this world, I try to put things in place that's going to uh, elevate. And so that's why I started Canvas Can Do Miracles to have in place systems because African-Americans, especially here in Knoxville, uh, we have limited access to art galleries, art programs, and things like that. So that's why I was bringing this program to fruition so that you can see some of the talented artists that we have in our community. We are, have limited resources, but we're going to work with what we have to uh, elevate our community to a place where we are comfortable in um, America. It's, it's been a long time coming. Mm -hmm. um, of course, you're going to have people that disagree with me. Yeah. 
you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Well, what if you don't have boots? <laughs> That's exactly saying. what I was going to okay. say. Yeah. So it, 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 it's, a, it's a struggle, and I get very um, defeated sometimes. Mm. But then I have, like, members of my staff and, and my board, like Miss Audrey Wallace, who, um, when I'm down, she's up, and she's very motivated. And so we kind of do what we have to do in the community. Um, we're out there trying to get monies for a main location. We were on Magnolia, where we wanted to be. At a location there, we had a gallery. We had a 1,800-square-foot uh, um, paved event center that we had wedding tents and we had concerts and we had galleries and people could do birthday parties and and we had um, that for two years mm. and um, of course it didn't end up the way I would have liked but I know God has a plan for us so that we can get back to having an African-American gallery in Knoxville to showcase African-American art and uh, art from those that are at risk, bringing them to a place where they can express themselves in whatever situation they find themselves. And that, I think, is the healing our community. If we're able to come together as a community and heal, everybody has issues. Oh, sure. I'm sorry if you don't think you have them. I can probably <laughs> point out a couple, but um, that's not my place. Right. But um, I just want... Uh, to the Canvas Can Do Miracles to be an avenue where if you just want to do hobbies, mm -hmm. you can come to our adult class, our children's class, and do that. If you want art as a career, we can start you out. We hire young people ages 12 to 29 to come in during the summer, and they teach art classes. We have satellite locations. So one of our satellite locations is Evergreen Villa, which is a retirement home. Sure. And so we have young people and we also hire adults, 30 to 65. So the art teachers are the 18 to 65s, and then the assistants are the 12 to 17. Okay. So we put two teachers and two assistants to go to a location. They teach anywhere from two to four hour classes. Uh, we supply all the supplies for the teachers and the students. We also have two competitions yearly. We have the Youth Violence Prevention Art Competition, this year, we're having it at the Tennessee Theater. Last oh, wow. year, we had it at the Beck Cultural Center. I remember that. Uh, last year was our first competition. Um, and we had a, a wide variety of winners. Mr. Logan was one of our winners. Yes, he was. And so we gave uh, winners $600, second prize $300, third prize $100 and honorable mentions. So we gave away $3,000 yeah. at that I was at event. that event as a matter So of then in November, we had our second competition. We, it's called Miracles of Mingling. It was held at the On Broadway Event Center and we gave away $4,500. Uh, that was to anyone ages six to 99. So we had four age groups and the same Dispense of cash, six hundred for the first and second, three hundred, um, a hundred for the third, and honorable mentions. I mean, that's some real coin. Oh yeah, that you're handing out there. Well, we had one young man. Now he's ten years old, mm -hmm. and he won first prize in his age group. When we called him to the stage to get 
of course, his ribbon, because he got a ribbon mm -hmm. and uh, on his work, and he also got the cash. So when he got his ribbon, that just blew him away. But then when we gave him the envelope of cash, he looked at it like he was, what in the world is this? Mm -hmm. So he went back to his seat, sat down. But afterwards, he came back up with his mom and his brother, who was also in the competition, who didn't win, who was distraught, <laughs> and said, uh, so you mean to tell me I can spend this money on anything I want? And I had to let him know, well, yes, you can with the permission from your mom. Right. So, but it really uh, is life changing for these families. Right. And especially um, where they can go out and buy whatever they want, school supplies, clothes, uh, their game, favorite games, right. whatever they want. So it can be life-changing to some of these families because uh, $600 is a big deal it is. when it's not expected. Yeah, especially when it, it comes out of the yeah. thin blue air. Exactly. Or, or it comes from something that you do as either a hobby or a yes. passion, and then suddenly somebody's giving you so, 600 bucks for it. And many of the artwork there at the gallery, people bought. And so that was huge for those artists as well, yeah. for someone to pay them for right. their artwork. And so we encouraged this through the classes. Um, we had 65 entries. That's individuals at, that could uh, enter up to three pieces. So we had more than 65 works oh, yeah. of art. It was, I remember at the Beck Center, this uh -huh. was in the fall right. of last year. It was in the uh, spring. Was it in spring? Yeah, it was okay, in spring. I knew it was weather was mm -hmm, changing now, mm -hmm. and and that was it was it was quite a you had quite a turnout yes, for that I event. I mean, yeah. it was really something. And I was unfamiliar with the Beck Cultural Center. It is truly a marvelous building, marvelous place. You need to go to the Beck uh, and take a tour. You can take a tour. Well, they take you through the archives, which they have so many different things. Um, the water fountain that said uh, "Whites Only." Color tone. Yeah, they have it, you know. And the chains, the the new, the uh, they call them yokes. Yokes. Mm -hmm. uh, they have those. They have the chains, the leg slaves. chains, all those different things. So you can take a tour. Yeah, you know, slavery uh, is 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 spoken about in schools and in history books as if it's you know ancient history. It's, it's two lifetimes ago. Yes, it is. If you if you eighty and eighty, that's two lifetimes. That's 160 years, yes. and we were smack dab in the middle of slavery at that time. Mm -hmm. So I tried to, you know, bring that up, uh, especially in these uh, debates that we have. And I'm sure uh, I'll be invited to debates in the future as this podcast grows. And, and I'm willing and ready, you yeah. know, at any given time to debate uh, uh, other liberals or conservatives who decide uh, that they'd like to go that route. Right. Although I don't believe... Uh, most of their policies hold much water, um, so it's, it's not a, a huge thing. So you've got Canvas Can Do Miracles. Mm -hmm. You've told us a little bit about about your past, um, about overcoming addiction, uh, about your path to spirituality uh, and to God. Um, is there anything else in particular you'd like to, to talk about? Because I feel like... Yeah, just kind of letting you run with it. You're doing a wonderful <laughs> job here with us today, and we appreciate you so much. Well, um, only thing else I would want to say is um, the help that we get in the African community, African American community, is limited. Right. 
it is very limited. And I've also experienced in this um, art community and grants and getting grants and trying to work through those process, there's still racism oh, yeah. within the policies, uh, in the grant procedures. Uh, I'm, I'm blown away uh, at the things that I've experienced in these last couple of years. And so um, I'm always looking for organizations and foundations that will come together and help us get a location um, to, um, because these foundations, they want um, specific financial things in place, but as a small organization, you struggle with those. Sure. So I'm working right now with uh, Knoxville Entrepreneur Center. Um, I was in their cohort, um, 100 Knoxville last year. And so a wonderful lady there, Candace Stratman, has um, walked with us to get us financially ready for some of these bigger foundations where we can try to get some of those monies to come and support mm -hmm. Canvas Can Do Miracles so that we can be that artistic uh, standard here in Knoxville for African-Americans so that when you want an African-American artist, you can come to me and I'll say, I've got a plethora of, of artists behind me that you can you know, just pick from if you want um, someone in your gallery, mm -hmm. you know, we'll send you, uh, they're ready. Right. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do is to find corporations. Uh, we've reached out and I don't want to call them names because I don't want to burn right, bridges. Right. But some of these large corporations here in town that you, you know, they don't support the black art, no. art organizations like I feel they should. They, they, they certainly, they certainly tilt uh, more conservative. Oh, yeah. We're not going to throw out any names. No, We're not trying no. to burn any bridges. No. Um, but it does have that slant. Yes. I, I want I want to get your response to this. You, you're, you're so tied to the arts um, and culture, which I think is, is something that the federal government should be um, uh, involved with the way they are in the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Look at the number of actors who come out of the U.K., and they have, what, 20% the population of the United States? Or Australia, for example, because they have those programs built in uh, to K-12 through education. That's right. So people come out with skills like Russell Crowe's yes. ability to act. That's or right. some of the British actors, and we could go on and on with a number of, of, of British stars who've made it here in the, in the United States. As a matter of fact, they, they may be on par with the number of American-born movie stars um, and artists, you know, who, who pop up uh, in the United States. It may actually be a similar number just because they invest in it from an early age. One, one more thing, and this is a flashpoint. This is a hot button question. When you see states like Florida mm -hmm. banning books by people like James Baldwin, like uh, Maya Angelou, I mean, when I heard the cage uh, for who the cage bird sings mm -hmm. was banned mm -hmm. in the state of Florida and yeah. its libraries, it's a book I read in an all white community in a rural community growing up, and it helped shaped my view of African American culture and the struggles of the Jim Crow era, and then to see Nicole Hannah Jones's 
Pulitzer Prize winning. Tony Morrison. S- Tony Morrison. Tony Morrison. It's not like these people just showed up. Mm-mm. They've been writing for a long time, winning awards, yes. making a lot of money for a long time in the United States of America. And now you have states like Florida, like Tennessee, yeah. um, who are essentially hosting book burnings. Yeah. Again. And, Again, this isn't the first time. <laughs> no, it's not. And people think that, well, the only comparison is to Nazi Germany. And I said, well, wait a second. Mm-hmm. What about 1945 or 1950 Tennessee or Alabama or know about that. Mississippi? I mean, now Mississippi is sort of the, the epicenter of uh, uh, anti-African-Americanism, I guess you'd say, even though uh, it's a majority. Uh, it has one of the largest black populations in America. And just like with Knoxville, you said you have such a hard time. You climb so many hills in Knoxville, and this is a majority African-American city. I mean, it's mind-boggling. I will say this, and I think we're getting ready to wrap it up. I will say this. I live on the opposite end of town. Mm -hmm. Originally, I'm from just east of the Magnolia community in Kodak, Tennessee. It was a good childhood, and it was it was a good place to grow up, although it's become congested in the last 10, 15 years since the Bass Pro Shop probably came in. Um, but now that I've, I've spent all that time, thanks to our editor and co-host, Logan Ramsey, and the Magnolia community, uh, as a kid, we didn't have a grocery store in Codex, mm-hmm. so we'd often go mm-hmm. to the Kroger there on Asheville Highway. IGA. You know, shopping, right? <laughs> you forgot about the IGA? Way, way back, we used to go to the... Um, what was it called? The Dan White grocery stores, too, that you had over in Dandridge. Um, they, they Or Bob White, I'm sorry. Uh, not Dan White. Bob White, because like the quail. Um, so we didn't have a place to shop in Kodak until 2007. We didn't have a grocery store within 10 miles. So uh, I spent a lot of time there. I will say this, that despite... All of the glaring problems, the poverty, the homelessness, you know, some of the things that people think of when they hear, who live in Knoxville, people here in Knoxville hear the term Magnolia, Magnolia Mm -hmm. Avenue, they think violence, they think gangs, they think drugs, they think prostitution, they think of all the bad things, all of the bad things. But here's what I've experienced. And I'm not saying anything bad about my community here in West Knoxville, but the kindest people I have met in Knoxville, in the city itself, have almost universally been, unanimously been, on the east side when it comes to getting in and out of traffic or somebody holding a door for you, you know, when you have your hands full. You don't you don't see that over here as much as you do over there. And, I, and maybe it's a community... Uh, maybe it's because it's a community that feels like it's in constantly in a defensive posture. Yes. Now, if you if you look at what has happened to that area in the last, let's just say, thirty years. Okay. Okay. So they closed Levi's, mm-hmm. Standard Knitting Mill, the baseball field over there. Um, there have been so many uh, organizations and businesses that are all the restaurants, Taco Bell, Chandler's. Um, there used to be all kind of businesses down Magnolia, IGA. Uh, you just you could just name it. The the factories. Those factories supplied income for those mm-hmm. families. Mm-hmm. So if you take a, a a particular side of town and you close ten businesses, mm-hmm. 
in that one side of town, what do you expect to happen to right. that side of town? It's going to fall. It's going Thank to fall you. apart. It sure it's is. It's going to fall in on itself. And that was planned. And oh, there's it, when you look at the city of Knoxville and you look at where all the growth is, yes. and then you drive. Let's let's just say on a Sunday morning, and mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are in church on Sunday morning, but. There for a main thoroughfare yes. like Magnolia, mm -hmm. and to be the only car there, mm -hmm. like when I'm going to Logan's house, yeah. uh, I don't see anybody. Mm -hmm. You dilapidated building after dilapidated building, which of course spreads drug use, yes, which it it spreads gang violence, and and um, if the city of Knoxville, which uh, at least according to what we hear, um, the people who lead the city are. Uh, even though they're nonpartisan, they claim to be liberal. Um, it seems that they would focus in on that part of town and That's it, they do are, something about with trees and landscaping. <laughs> trees and landscaping are not. It's not going to help pay the bills. Really? It's not going to bring in any jobs. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. No, I completely get you. I I feel your sarcasm through the microphone and headset, Miss Holloway. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, I, th I think we're living in uh, we're living in scary times. So um, and, and and I'm so happy and and proud that you would come and and give us your time to give us this hour. Uh, that um, I, I really don't know what to say. If there's anything we can do in the future to help you, uh, you know, we're only a phone call away. Thank you. And everybody can go to the website if they want more information. It's www ccdmiracles.com ccdmiracles.com okay well if there's anything else from anybody okay then I'll read us out you've been listening to the Magnolia Media Podcast my name is Jonathan M. Ruggiero I'm your host here with our special guest of honor Miss Jackie Holloway I also like to thank our editor our sound engineer and oftentimes my co-host Logan Ramsey. Until next time, be well.